So last week, we kicked off our study of Galatians by looking at the greeting in the first five verses as a way to sort of introduce the overall gist of the whole book. So, as a friendly reminder to get our heads back in the Galatians game, jump in with me at the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. In other words, from Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles, he's establishing his apostolic credentials early and often in Galatians. This will continue to be important for Paul's argument throughout the books, throughout the book. From Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles, commissioned by Jesus himself and by the same power of the Father who raised him from the dead, verse 2, and from all the brothers who are with me, Meaning I'm not just some rogue weirdo sending this of my own authority, but my commission, Paul says, comes from God as an apostle. And my co-workers in ministry, they agree with me about the content of this letter. So from Paul, an apostle, and from my co-workers to the churches, because it was read and distributed to all of the churches in that region, to the churches of Galatia. Now, what Paul says next, as the apostle who helped establish this church and who first preached among them and who taught them the basics of the gospel of free grace, what Paul says next is that he is he's praying that they would rediscover the basics of the gospel of free grace and that they would rest in the cross of Christ, whereby he accomplished all of their salvation for them. Verse three, grace to you. Grace is Paul's one-word summary of everything that God does to achieve salvation for us in Christ. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is the basic content of the gospel of free grace the good news of what Christ did for his people on the cross. And notice especially, as Paul is in effect saying here and throughout the entire letter, notice that these facts of the basic content of the gospel do not say one single word about what we do to achieve salvation. Because we don't. The gospel communicates what God has done in history through Jesus for us. Look again at verses 3 through 5 here and just notice who is doing what here. Notice the trajectory, the action, the direction of the action and the trajectory of the pronouns here. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, what are we doing there to achieve salvation? Paul says, nothing. What part do we play in Paul's description of the basic content of the gospel of free grace? We apparently merely play the part of recipient who accepts it. Paul is reminding the Galatians here 
that they didn't do squat to get, to deserve, to earn, or to curry favor with Jesus. The gospel isn't about what we do for God. It's about what God has done for us in Jesus. Now, with that reminder of his greeting in mind, what would typically come next in a Greco-Roman letter writing form is, a, is what we call a praise or a thanksgiving, a word of gratitude to the recipients of the letter. And this thanksgiving would, would typically sound something like what Paul said in Romans 1, 8. It would typically say something like, first, before I get into the rest of the letter, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He says the same thing in Ephesians 1, 15 to 16 and following. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he goes on in Ephesians there for a bunch of verses to continue to give thanks for them. Paul says something like that to the Romans, the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians. He says it to Timothy. He says it to Philemon. But here to the Galatians, instead of something like, I'm so grateful for your faith in the Lord. He says this, verse six, first three words. I am astonished. The Thanksgiving here is notably absent. He goes straight in to saying, I'm shocked, I'm amazed, I'm alarmed, I'm put out, I'm frustrated and flustered and flabbergasted, and as the English say, gobsmacked, which, interesting etymological note, means to smack one's mouth like one's gob, G-O-B, in astonishment. And by the way, while we're going weird, this weird English word gob is why the small jawbreaker candy is called a gob stopper. You're welcome. That's as entertaining as it gets today. So Paul is astonished. He's gobsmacked and he can't believe that this is the situation among the churches there. He can't believe specifically, he says, I am astonished. Keep reading that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Strong words from Paul here. He says, I'm, I'm astonished. I'm, I'm amazed. I can't even, I can't believe that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're deserting God and his grace to you in Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. The word Paul is using here for deserting, it means to bring to another place, to transfer to another place. It's used of those who change allegiance from one country to another. It's used of political traitors. It's used of one who switches sides in an armed conflict. It's used of military deserters in battle. And notice he says that they were deserting so quickly. Many scholars think that it's only been about a year since Paul had left them. About a year since Paul had established the church and preached the gospel to them. So, yeah, that was quick. And not only that, but one more thing here. Paul says 
that they are quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. The problem isn't really that they're deserting Paul and his teaching. But remember, since he's an apostle who taught them the basic content of the gospel of free grace, the problem is that in rejecting Paul's teaching, they're actually deserting, notice in the text, they're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. This phrase, he who calls, in Paul's writings, always refers to God the Father. He uses this phrase at least 20 times to refer to God the Father, he who calls. He uses it three times in Galatians. And so what he's saying here in verse 6 is that he cannot believe that the Galatians are so quickly deserting God the Father who called them by the grace of Christ and they're turning to a different gospel. This word turning means from this to something else. That's language for apostatizing, for rebelling against God. Paul says, I can't believe you are turning to a different gospel. This really bothers him. That's why he says he's gobsmacked. Now, he says, I can't believe you're deserting it, that you're turning to a different gospel, that you're deserting God. And he says, verse 7, not that there is another one, not that there is another gospel to which you are turning, because there isn't. He says, but there are some who trouble you. There are some who are upsetting and confusing you and unsettling your minds. They're sort of theological uh, dividers and disunifiers. They're troubling you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. So these troublers were perverting the gospel. Paul uses a word here for distort that describes a very strong and even a, a categorical change, much like the word turning earlier. Paul uses this word to describe a strong and categorical change. That word is often used to talk about the change from water to blood, from fresh water to salt, from daylight to darkness, uh, from one form of something into an entirely new form. So, so Paul will be spending much much of the rest of Galatians, unpacking the specifics of how these troublers were distorting the gospel. But for now, he simply wants us to know that their teachings, their teachings were straight up a different gospel, as if there could be one, like he says in verse 7. So he continues his warning. Look at verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. He's saying, even if, even if I as apostle, he's bringing down this curse on himself even, even if I as apostle were to preach a contrary gospel to you, and even if an angel with heavenly credentials were to preach a gospel contrary to the one that we already preached to you, even if a messenger, any messenger from anywhere with any credentials preaches a gospel contrary to what I preached and contrary to my prayer for you in verses three to five, he says, that messenger should be accursed, condemned. The word Paul uses here for accursed is the word anathema, which means cursed before God, devoted to destruction, cut off and condemned. Strong language here. 
Paul saying, it doesn't matter if it came from a heavenly being like an angel. If the message is a different gospel, it's wrong. And the messenger needs to be aware that they're in danger of eternal damnation before God. This is, this is a big deal to Paul. And in case you didn't hear it, for those in the back, Paul says it again. Verse 9. He says, As we have said before. And he doesn't mean just the previous verse. He means, as I've been telling you before, when I was here a year ago, as I told you when I first preached the gospel of free grace to you, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He repeats it here to underline the gravity of the offense of those who are troubling them. And then last verse here, verse 10, he concludes this section in a way that seems kind of weird at first, but Paul is making a really important point here in verse 10. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or said most simply, am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, Paul says, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, part of what's hard in interpreting Galatians is that we don't know everything about these troublers, the, the Judaizers, and we don't know everything they said or did. So we sometimes have to piece together things, and this is kind of one of those places. So here's what's going on in verse 10. After Paul had left the Galatian churches about a year-ish before, these false teachers came in. We call them the Judaizers because they were sort of Jewishizing uh, the Christian faith. They started to teach the Galatians after Paul left that in order to be a, a real Christian, they had to not only believe the gospel of free grace that Paul taught, but they also had to become a Jew, to be circumcised, to follow the food laws, to observe all the festivals, and all the other 600 plus laws. And so they were saying, listen folks, these false teachers were saying to the Galatians, listen folks, Paul has trimmed down his gospel message in order to please and to persuade you. Paul didn't tell you the whole truth. He just wanted you to, to listen to him because Paul's all about Paul and and we're here to give you the full gospel, the real gospel that he, that he trimmed down, that he cheapened by making it the free grace gospel. He did that in order to please you and to win you over to his side. So you can understand why Paul is, he's a little hot here. He's like, really Galatians? Is that what's going on here? Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? You know me. I was here with you. You think I'm trying to please man? Okay, test me, he says. I'm not concerned with what people think of my message. I'm only concerned with preaching the gospel of free grace that, get this, is apparently getting me in trouble with men. You track in Galatians like you're listening, y'all. And then so when he asks this question, he says, am I trying to please people? The implied answer here is clear. Not in any way. And they knew it. And because they knew it, Paul's implication here, ironically, is that the Galatians themselves were doing exactly the thing of trying to please men because they gave in to the false teachers' teachings. 
This is the same kind of thing that Paul had said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul's like, do I look like I care what people think of me? Did I act that way when I was with you? Did I preach as if trying to please people? No, no, no. My conduct among you. Think about it. Did it seem like I was all about persuading and pleasing men? I'm the dude who just told you you were in danger of being condemned before God if you keep going the route of perverting the gospel by adding to it. To the contrary, test me. I'm a slave of Jesus. I do what the master tells me. I preach the gospel he gave me and not merely the one that you want to hear. This is why Paul also said, 1 Corinthians 15, to a similar situation as the Galatians, where Paul was less than happy with them. He said, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. In other words, the real gospel. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, on which I stand, the gospel I depend on. I preached the same basic content of the gospel of free grace alone, and I made sure that you knew that your salvation depended upon nothing else except this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised in the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared raised to Cephas, to Peter, then to the twelve, and then to others. In fact, Paul was very careful in his teaching with the churches to explain things very clearly, in very plain terms, so as to not distort the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony, testimony of God with, with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, which validated his message, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of, get this, not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In these passages and in Galatians here, Paul is pleading with them. And pleading with the Galatians, I've been careful, I've been clear, I've only preached the cross for your salvation. Test me, because if I've preached something else, I should be condemned. There is only one gospel. There is only the cross of Christ on which he gave himself for our sin to deliver us from evil according to God's will and for his glory. You didn't do anything to deserve it, so you don't have the right to add to it. Because it's free. God's grace is free, and that's the only gospel I've ever preached. Now, there are three quick practical lessons from this passage in Galatians for us today. And they all, they all sort of center around this idea that there is no other gospel except the gospel of free grace. And the first is this. We are prone to drift from the gospel of free grace. In verse 6 in our passage today, 
In chapter 1 in Galatians, Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is writing here to people who had already confessed faith in Christ. Which is to say, friends, even after we become believers, we are prone to wander and to drift. In Galatians, it was the influence of of false teachers who who probably drew them away from the gospel of free grace by their superior knowledge of, of the scriptures. But there are many other things that clutter our minds and our hearts and that take over our lives that we, that we forget about of all, of all things. We forget about the centrality of the gospel of free grace. Sometimes all the while thinking we've not strayed from it. When we concentrate on some good things, but we forget the best and most central things, we have drifted. We can focus on what it means to be good parents, to have a good marriage, to form meaningful relationships, to make an impact in the world. All these things are good, of course. (laughs) And all the while that we do so, we are in danger of slowly and inadvertently drifting away from the gospel of free grace that is the only thing that has the power to save. In a world, friends, of countless weird and even new threats, physical, political, sociocultural, we have to make sure we don't drift away from our number one thing, the gospel of God's grace. Second thing for us to think about today is that we must maintain focus on communicating the gospel of free grace. If number one was the don't, (laughs) this is the do. We must make sure that we do not sort of functionally embrace in the name of being what the world wrongly calls loving and tolerant. We must make sure we do not preach a false gospel of of caring, niceness, tolerance, and and so-called love of neighbor that nonetheless forgets the need for the righteousness of Jesus for sinners. Only the story of redemption in Jesus, whereby the free grace is God's grace and mercy and favor gifted to you as needy sinner. Only that story of redemption in Jesus where you get the grace of God as needy sinner is a legitimate gospel story. Only that one will be heard as redemption that's needed. And friends, we must must have the courage to tell the story that there is only one way to salvation— and that no one is saved by living a good life, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. If we fail to proclaim that there is only one name by which we can be saved, Acts 4.12, and that human being has come to God only through Jesus, John 14, if we fail to proclaim those basics, we will sadly give a false assurance of salvation to people who are heading for final judgment. Nothing, friends, can be more unloving than granting false assurance to those who are perishing because they're believing in a works righteousness that forgives that Jesus alone is righteousness for sinners. If you think you're helping people find and follow Jesus by simply being nice, but never telling the story of your need as a sinner for the free gift of salvation that cannot be earned, you are perhaps deluded, but most likely you are lacking courage because you fear man more than God. Third thing that's important for us from this passage is 
to learn the lesson that, friends, we can only please God through a gospel of free grace. And Paul's warning us here about the danger of trying to please people instead of pleasing God. When we are living for and, and longing for the favorable opinions of others, first and foremost in our lives, we are living under slavery to a gospel of costly works that do not save. And though it may feel like oppression in this life, or it may involve being seen as a fool. It is better to be a slave of Christ than slave to mankind. Your fear of others' opinions of you can be absolutely deadly. You see, there's no other way to please God than through the good news that his son Jesus alone provides the perfect and sinless life needed to stand as righteous before the Father. Without Jesus you are forever condemned in your sin, hopeless, and with infinitely less than what is required to be worthy of his mercy. And if you are in love with man, it is all too easy to run the risk of being condemned before God. Friends, you can only please God through Jesus. And you can't earn that kind of goodness. It has to be given to you. So let's end by taking a few seconds to consider how we most need to respond this week. So which of these three applications that we've talked about do you most need to pray, think, and act on this week? Don't drift, do communicate, or please God, not man. So ask yourself these questions. How are you drifting from the gospel? Why don't you communicate the gospel? Whose approval are you seeking? Friends, all these kinds of questions center on this idea of the gospel of free grace. And I want to end by asking you this question. What gospel are you holding on to for life, for dear life, really? What gospel are you holding on to if it's not the simple gospel of free grace that cannot be added to or earned? It's not the gospel. For there is no other good news than this, that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from evil according to God's will and for his glory. Let's pray, friends. Indeed, Father, we admit to you that we have given ourselves to human definitions of the gospel, of a costly grace that doesn't save because it's based on pleasing man. But Father, we ask for a conviction of spirit that comes because you give us soft hearts to hear. We ask for hearts that repent because we admit that without your son Jesus we are forever condemned in our own lack of righteousness we stand behind your son Jesus claiming the cross that he died for us to make us right with you make that the center of our lives Lord so that we would seek to please you 
and not man. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.